Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Idiot Soup. This is the second installment of the episode with Kevin Kim, our guest, Hoarders, the Democratic Edition. This installment, we're going to be continuing the conversation on the continuing impeachment charges and what they mean specifically in regards to the Democratic primary. So if you didn't listen to the first episode, that's totally fine. These two episodes can be standalone, but we will have our guest, Kevin Kim, briefly reintroduce himself so y'all guys can hear what's going on. Hello everyone, my name is Kevin Kim. Um, I'm here in replacement of George, but no one can really replace him. Um, <laughs> and I'm a senior at Haynes Academy, and I'm with the High School Democrats of America, but I am not here on behalf of them today. Okay, so we're just going to jump right in, and we're just going to talk about what's going on with Ukraine and what it means, again, for the Democrats. Today we have seen that President Trump has asked China and actually admitted to asking Ukraine and actually implored to Ukraine and President Zelensky to investigate Joe Biden. And we have seen um, these conservative pundits like Mark Levin on Fox News who has been, they have all been defending President Trump saying there was no quid pro quo. But you know, the question that I just wanted to ask was, why do you think the Trump administration is really putting it all out there for Joe Biden? who doesn't seem to be the front runner anymore. Well, I think actually I think this is very interesting like mimicking kind of what happened in 2016 with the Republicans is with such a diverse field, you never really know who to attack. Like I think there were uh the Never Trump movement didn't start until way too late into the primary season. I think the Democrats were running ads against Ted Cruz before they were running ads against Donald Trump. So I think that the mentality right now is just go at it with your full force and whatever you can do, you can do because Trump has expressed a very sincere interest in going against Elizabeth Warren. I think if Trump really wanted to go against Biden and wanted to defeat Biden, I think he would have waited until after the nomination to bring out this, you know, to ask for this this little investigation into the Bidens and ask for China to investigate the Bidens too, which is very interesting development but i think i think trump does want to go against warren he said it before he said like let me at her like i'll take her out in the pools and i think that's his ideal election scenario so i think not to say that he's kind of clearing the way for warren but he is kind of you know putting his hand in the democratic election not not in like a i mean regardless of what you think of i guess it depends on what you think of the whole ukraine call but barring that i wouldn't necessarily call it malicious but i think he is kind of putting his hand in there and trying to get the candidate that he wants because i think he really wants to go against warren um yeah i just want to shift more focus on that ukraine call you know we've we've seen uh, the minority leader uh, kevin mccarthy go oh. um on i believe 60 minutes was it or mm-hmm. some some show um and when the reporter said was you know repeating line by line word for word what president trump said and he said though mccarthy thought that the reporter added that word in so clearly the republicans don't even at least uh kevin mccarthy does not know what was said in that transcript and richard nixon also released transcript. <laughs> yeah uh, and I, I think that the public is really being coaxed by the trump administration how can you believe a transcript um, when they went through multiple, you know, really secure servers that are meant for actual classified and sensitive information, and the Trump administration went through all the trouble to make that transcript go through there, and we have seen multiple White House officials say, "Why was it classified? Um, yeah, why was place? it classified in the first place?" And so yeah. I think that whistleblower complaint, who is you know supposedly a CIA agent, but being called Trump saying that he needs to be arrested for treason, I. 
Yeah, no, there was one part where he said he wanted to execute everyone involved, like just execution. Yeah. I was go, like, go capital back punishment. to the old days. I was like, right. whoa, that's kind of out of line. But, um, but still, his supporters. Yeah, still the people say, and I, I mean, like when you read the, tra- so obviously the transcript isn't verbatim, which worries mm-hmm. me to begin with because a, I don't know why they didn't take the chance to make Donald Trump sound smarter. I mean, they still have him saying things like Rudy Giuliani is very good, very good. Like, come on, right? You, can, you, have, right. you have you have leeway here. You can you can put some some three syllable words in his vocabulary, but they don't. But when you look at it, it's I mean, it's literally the definition of a quid pro quo. Mm-hmm. They just get finished talking about money. And he's like, oh, by the way, I need a favor. And like, Though. you know that Ukraine is like in some hot water with Russia. So that's kind of sending this message out to all those other countries that are in potential danger from these aggressive, not to say imperialistic countries, but these aggressive countries that are, you know, kind of setting out their their dominions. You're kind of sending out this message to everyone on the international stage that if you want our help, you're going to have to do something for it. And though it's not explicit, it's kind of implied. And I think, uh, I mean, it's it's politics. No one's going to say that and say, like, man, that, that president of Ukraine, he had he had no clue what was going on. Like, politicians, they speak politics. They speak politics to each other. That was, I think, a very clear example. But instead of seeing, like you said, instead of seeing people kind of, you know, say like, whoa, President Trump, they're doubling down on it. They're, they're, they're using it, like you said, as fuel to campaign against Biden. And... Though I'm not sure what all this might mean for Biden because some of it is pretty, it, it's pretty sketchy to begin with. I would say it's politics as usual, but it does get pretty sketchy when it comes to Biden. I do think it could negatively impact him, but I don't think that it should positively impact Trump in the way that it is. Yeah, and then when the RNC released um, the campaigning, the fundraising numbers, I think that hit Democrats pretty badly. We were, I think the Democratic Party was, um, you know, most of us were shocked when we saw the RNC and Trump fundraised about $125 million. And solely they were using that Ukraine to uh, fuel their own base. So I think it's crazy, you know, to see how despite evidence, uh, people still, you know, refuse to believe clear and clear cut evidence um, and also challenge the uh, the protections of the whistleblowers. Um you know, this. why do you think whistleblowers exist? Uh, you know, we saw Snowden when he released all of, uh, the NSA files and, uh, you know, revealed to the world that the government was spying on us. Uh, if if he was revealed way beforehand, that would we would have never known that. Same thing with the whistleblower who released the, uh, who came out and talked about Richard Nixon. And, you know, whistleblowers are really important to our nation and it, they keep the government in check and people who are saying that we need to out that whistleblower's name and the president himself saying that really challenges you know i think it challenges the whole idea of trying to keep the government in check and it gives me 1984 vibes i'm sorry <laughs> big no, brother's yeah. always watching i think you know if big, if trump's a big brother in this case he's trying to you know uh, figure out everyone who's against him and that treason comment definitely does not help yeah. I think despite what you think about the actual Ukraine call itself, the president's approach to handling this situation has been very worrisome for me. Just the way he's handling it, the way he's saying, like, we should execute people, we should accuse him of treason. Like, there is no... I think that's just an egregious violation and overstep into what the legal precedent is here and to what the legal procedure should be here i think it's kind of a judge jury executioner situation that really sets me on ease because if this really is about maintaining his credibility he should say like come at me with your full force i will prove my 
impeccable unimpeachable behavior but instead he's choosing to go on these ad hominem attacks and say all these things and so on and so forth i mean he's already admitted to what was said on the call so the whistleblower shouldn't matter to him anymore he should be focusing on whether or not this was a violation of campaign finance laws or whether or not this was an abuse of power he shouldn't be going after something like a whistleblower it's just to me it just screams that something is going on over there that maybe more than what it seems and it's kind of worrisome to hear the president of the united states speak about such an uh, such an important part to cleanly functioning society and, and with such disdain do you think he fears you know mike pence going after his position because you know bef- when all of this came out we all just expected pence to be to come to president but he has implicated his own vice president <laughs> yeah. um saying check mike pence's call and now he used you know statement saying pence's calls is perfect but obviously his intent was trying to get out there that mike pence was also involved and i think a few days ago um it was revealed that a close advisor to the vice president was in on that call as well as the secretary of state mike pompeo and rudy giuliani everyone got implicated so it's like everyone's implicated and trump implicated his own vice president so do you think he's trying to say it's either i'm here or none of us are I don't, the thing is, like, I don't know if I think that he's that savvy. Like you said, Pence's calls are impeccable, and I bet you they are, because Pence is a career politician. You know, he's been in the game for a really long time, and because of that, I think Pence knows that it would not be wise to preemptively go against, go in in seeking Donald Trump's position. I don't think that's on his agenda. I think four years down the line, he might pull a Joe Biden and say, like, hey, like, I was your, the beloved, uh, Donald Trump's vice president, you should all elect me. But I, Except he I wouldn't think, be four years too late. Yeah, but I think he understands the... I think he understands that he can't make a preemptive strike towards the White House at this moment. I don't think he will. I don't know if I think that Trump was saying that to kind of say like an it's it's all of us or nothing type situation. I think he genuinely was just... he. I think he's doing this typical like cast the blame away thing. If You know, this very childish view of, well, everyone's doing it, so it can't be wrong. You know how people say mm-hmm. that? Like, oh, my friends are doing it, it can't be wrong. I think that's the kind of viewpoint that he's taking to this is the politics as usual approach. But at this point, people are starting to ask the question for the first time, should this be politics as usual? Should this be what our head of state does? Should we allow this behavior to continue? What kind of message are we sending out? And I think that is kind of what's going on. Yeah, and I just wanted to tie this back in with the whole Democratic primary. (laughs) So, you know, if President Trump actually does get impeached, and that is very unlikely, especially with a uh, GOP-led Senate and, you know, Mitch McConnell. Um, And I found it very surprising that Mitch McConnell said he would go through with that vote um, if it were to happen. But let's just just say, let's give a hypothetical and say President Trump is actually impeached um, and convicted, and and, Mike Pence becomes President of the United States, and Pence becomes suddenly the front-runner for the 2020 election. How badly does that affect Democrats? Are Democrats really, do they get what they want if they impeach President Trump? Because this whole campaign cycle has been with the message, we are against Trump. But if they get rid of their you know, unifying enemy, then what do the Democrats run on? Because um, Pence is a completely different animal than Pre- President Trump. He's, he's a you know, diehard conservative, but he isn't as controversial as President Trump. So I think Democrats, um, when they're trying to get rid of President Trump, if they do, it hurts them um, in hindsight. Yeah. So just like briefly before I touch on that, a lot of people have been saying, oh, the intent isn't to impeach Trump. It's to launch an impeachment inquiry that will bring to light all these transgressions and so on and so forth. And I think that this impeachment is 
can turn out to be lose-lose situations for the Democrats. Mm-hmm. I think if they start the impeachment process and it doesn't go forward and it becomes stagnant, like I heard projections of saying people saying they want the impeachment inquiries to go on until next November and to bring out witnesses every month. And you're just going to put all the attention on that and then the Democratic primary is going to stagnate. You know, you're not going to, you're stuck in a position where you have 20 candidates right now. If you don't keep the primaries moving, you will never reach a consensus. You will never get that candidate. And putting the Democratic primary on hold right now is probably a really poor idea because you're taking that away. But then if the impeachment does go forward and it say it happens like snack crackle pop and then all of a sudden Donald Trump's out of office, you have Pence, you do run to this huge issue because every single candidate has had some message in their platform that has said, I'm the candidate to beat Trump. Like Warren and Biden and Sanders have, have run off of this for a very long time is I'm the one that can beat him down. I'm the anti-establishment guy. I can take him on. I can take him on. So then if you put them up against Pence, you have, like you said, this completely different animal that I genuinely don't think they're going to be able to conquer. Like when you looked at the election between Hillary and Trump, they had the highest negatives out of any two candidates in the history of the country. Everyone's saying pick the lesser of two evils. Yeah, you could have, you could have run a mop. And it would have beat both of them. Pence doesn't have those same negatives. He is associated with Trump. And the undecided vote would probably break against him as an incumbent. But there isn't as much fuel for anger against him as there is for Trump. Which I think would deeply hurt the Democrats if they don't reach their consensus soon. On the other hand, if the Democrats reach their consensus in the next you know, couple of months. They have a very clear front runner. People drop out then they're going into this impeachment full swing with a chosen candidate. That candidate will have a moment to shine because they'll be, you know, speaking during all these proceedings and then Pence will have to scramble to get his campaign together. But if you go into this impeachment with a 16 plus candidacy, a candidate field, you're going to come out with a very weak candidate in the end. Right. And also, is this whole impeachment inquiry even helping Democrats when a majority of voters don't want to see President Trump be impeached. Majority of voters want the GOP to keep the Senate, um, independent voters, that is. So, you know, people that either side could actually potentially win over. So is this whole Democratic, uh, is this whole impeachment inquiry even helping Democrats? I think it is a double-edged sword. Is that that the saying, a double-edged sword? (laughs) Because I think that it is helping them in the sense of like, it's kind of digging up this stuff about Ukraine. It's kind of calling into question some things. But I think that you can have too much of a good thing. And I think that the longer it proceeds, the longer, A, you're going to have people looking to Joe Biden. You're going to give Trump some more ammunition. And you're just going to bore the people. You know, you don't want to, the the American people don't want to hear someone complaining day in and day out and nagging and nagging and nagging. And this impeachment gives a lot of room for the Democrats to nag a lot more. And the more you hear candidates nag, the more turned off voters get to them. And I think that's the ultimate effect. I think if this impeachment was simple, clean, and quick, if it got shut down in the Senate quickly, I think that could ultimately in the end actually be more beneficial for the democrats because it happened and then it's over and then it's not something that you know they have to deal with on their plate up until the general election yeah and i think in general this whole impeachment inquiry even though it you know brings president trump's rather sketchy uh, moves to light again his base is so loyal i guess and they won't deviate from president trump i mean all it does is really just provide more fuel for the rnc to fundraise for Trump and say this is what the liberals are trying to do. Uh, they're trying to steal our election. Uh, they couldn't face the results from 2016, so now and now they fear losing in 2020. So they just want to steal it from us. And I think that narrative is 
underrated by the Democrats. Like they're underestimating the impact of that narrative really coming to play. Just like how they're underrating President Trump in 2020. I think he's going to be a very formidable opponent if he's still that uh, that nominee. Many people are saying, you know, all Democrats will unite, and beating him is going to be inevitable. But I, I think it's going to be a much tougher battle. And especially if we see something like 2016 when uh, Sanders supporters weren't really behind Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party does not come as a unifying force. I think uh, President Trump's you know, second term is, is not out of, you know, out of, the out of, out of question. Yeah. yeah, And I think, yeah, like you said, it's something that's very interesting. <laughs> it just kind of reminded me of something that I have President Trump's tweet notifications on. And today I was at work and he tweeted, election interference, exclamation point. You know, we just all caps exclamation point. And uh, that kind of got me thinking about that, too. But there was, I think the impeachment was very rushed into. It happened sort of overnight is something that I noticed. Even with, like, Nancy Pelosi, for so long, she's been kind of, she's been the one holding back the floodgates single-handedly by the one, she's the one who has the power to say no, and she's the one that's been saying no. But she was pushed in by the swell of public support for his impeachment that kind of forced her hand. And I think that, that sort of impulse that led to this impeachment that happened so quickly kind of has left a lot of not to say like plot holes in the whole thing but it's it's left a lot of unwatched issues that might arise later and i think it's because i mean they saw a shot and they took it the democrats have been trying to impeach trump for so long and like you were saying i think that actually hurts this particular impeachment the fact that it happened with this you know immediate uh energy that happened so quickly it's very easy for Trump to say, oh, the Democrats are just trying to get me out of office. They've been trying to do this. This is just another time of them crying wolf and so on and so forth. So I think that the nature of this impeachment does make it detrimental to the Democratic Party. It does give fuel to Donald Trump. And as we've seen, his numbers aren't going down. Same thing that happened with Clinton. I mean, people are saying that the entire point of this is just to, you know, kind of bring up some bad stuff, get him to weaken. But his numbers are staying the same. That base is still there. The, de- the Republicans are doubling down. So I don't think that the impeachment is having the intended effect that people thought it was going to have. And I think that if the Democrats don't recognize that and change their plan of action accordingly, it could have very detrimental effects in the long run. Yeah. And, and speaking of election interference, <laughs> I, I found it interesting. Um, I read this article, I think today or yesterday, saying that Trump might be indirectly asking Russia to um, help him out again. I, I, they were saying how he's asking all these foreign countries, which you know, has the implicit effect of inviting foreign countries to help him politically if they want you know, aid back. And so they were saying how he's asking China and Australia with the Mueller investigation. And oh, by the way, why do you think he's, he's resuscitating that whole Mueller investigation? He's asking the Australia PM to help him investigate uh, look more into the Mueller investigation and its roots. I, I found that interesting. He's bringing um, up a lot of old dirt because on the mm-hmm. call with Ukraine, he asked him to try to find Hillary Clinton's servers. I think, I mean, I think it's just a character thing. I don't think he can live and let learn. I think he is, I think he's kind of shown himself to be the type of person that always has to be right. And I mean, there's a lot of people like that out there, but I think he is one of those final word people and he wants to get the final word. Though the Mueller investigation was definitely not as, beneficial to the Democrats as they wanted it to be. The testimony definitely fell flat. I don't think Trump necessarily saw it as a pure political win, and I think he is seeking that out. And I think that he is just constantly searching for this ammunition. 
Uh, maybe, maybe there's some like spring cleaning files on every Democratic candidate out there. And he has someone in every country working on oppa research on someone's son. But the thing is, I think that he's just, I think that's just a character thing is has to get the last word in. And, but yeah, like you were saying is one of the things to me that was the most troubling about the Ukraine call is not necessarily the actual merit of it, but it's the message that it sends out to the international community, especially with a country that is in Ukraine's position, is if you're putting your, if you're showing yourself as this world leader that does things for essentially a quote, like quid pro quo type scenario, are these other countries going to see you as a country to rely on or a country to appease? And I don't think America needs to be seen as a country to appease. I think we have an obligation to the international community. When you dangle support in front of a country, a contingent on help with an election, I just don't think that's fulfilling that burden that we bear to the uh, international community. Right. We we are seen as the world leaders in nearly everything. We're we're seen as the leaders um, in aiding countries that need that help. And with this new isolationist, nationalist point of view that this administration has brought and using international aid as leverage for political gain, that just sets a very dangerous precedent in our country. You know, I, if this becomes a new trend and we see future presidents of the United States you know, withhold aid or, uh, you know, coerce a country to buy their, their military weapons and such, I, I don't see how, you know, we maintain that, that status of being that world-class leader in the international community and having that status of being seen as relatively, uh, you know, one of the best countries in the world. And I think we've already lost that status and we've become a rather joke in the international community with the way we handle diplomatic affairs and international affairs. Yeah, I definitely think that this reflects negatively upon America as a whole, regardless of what it means for the actual domestic affairs in our country. And I think that's something definitely to take into account that people are kind of ignoring. And I think that can be a very important part when it comes to these campaigns. I think it's a point that no one has really picked up. I've heard some people talk about it in articles and podcasts, but that is a very important part of what this means for the election and, and what it means regarding President Trump's merits. I think that's really important. So, And also, you know, in history, when our country is politically divided, an in, in international entity that's relatively, you know, seen as an enemy unifies our country, but we haven't really seen that anymore. For example, like we saw Jamal Khashoggi get killed and he was a, you know, American you know, American credentialed U.S. reporter. And when he got killed by an international, you know, entity, uh, you know, probably, you know, Saudi Arabian government, the American people did not, yeah, the American people did not come together behind that. And I I found that very troubling because we are now, we're not valuing American lives like we used to. When North Korea, in North Korea, Otto Warmbian died. President Trump, you know, uh, he complimented Kim Jong-un. He has complimented Duterte from Philippines. He has complimented Putin from Russia. And so I think this new rhetoric that this administration is bringing really damages, you know, we, we, you know, we used to see American lives as something that unifies us, you know, with 9-11. And I don't see that anymore. Yeah, I think it's actually interesting that it arose like to prominency with this presidency because this was the quote America first presidency. It's kind of ironic that the mantra America First has actually taken attention away from international crises that heavily affect and, and involve American lives 
And I think just this general disregard of of America's position on the international field is really concerning. I haven't heard it really talked about by anyone except for Tulsi Gabbard. She's the only one who talks about the international community. Everything else is about domestic issues, and that just leaves an entire area that isn't being addressed. And it makes it really, really, really easy to ignore stuff like the Ukraine call. It makes it easy for voters to say that this doesn't matter to us. This isn't really an American issue. You know, this is this is between Ukraine and their gas companies. This does not matter to America at all. But the fact of the matter is, it is something that is important to American politics. It is something that should be accounted for. And because it's not one of those, you know, riveting issues that really gets people up because, you know, it affects their paycheck or whatever, it's kind of falling behind. It's kind of falling back onto the back burner. It's going to make this impeachment that much more of an uphill battle because it's not something that people relate to. Like, take, for example, Watergate. The American people were the ones that were lied to. Here, maybe you're manipulating the Ukrainian government. When the American people see it as a problem that they identify with, they see strictly relates to them, it infuriates them, and it mobilizes them, and it energizes them. And the stark difference, I mean, it essentially is a very similar scenario. Watergate, democratic interference. Ukraine, democratic interference. But because the American people aren't involved in this situation, they just don't seem to care as much. Sure, there are some calls for impeachment, but never with this sense of disdain that was created as a result of the transgression. Like, people didn't really hate Nixon before Watergate. He was, he was doing pretty well. He was pretty cozy. But after Watergate, they hated him. And after Ukraine, dubbed Ukraine Great, which I will say again, horrible name. <laughs> um, Very original. His, his, favorite, his favorables are going up. They're saying where they are. So it's kind of this growing sentiment of Americans being like, America first has turned into America only, has turned into if it doesn't affect me, it doesn't matter for the country, which is a very dangerous sentiment to have going into this impeachment. Yeah, people really need to start paying attention to things, even if they're, even if the surface value may not seem in- intriguing, because if the people aren't really paying attention to the, you know, the issues that are really disturbing, then the administration will continue, keep continuing to do. We, we as a people need to put pressure on our government and keep them in check. So just moving into like, you know, what will happen with the Democratic field, we just saw that there are 12 people that are going to be in the next Democratic debate all on stage. That is the largest uh, primary debate in the history of our country. How, how are people going to even, you know, do you think there are going to be more attacks, especially on front runners? Will Warren and Sanders different? Will Sanders especially start to differentiate himself with Warren, considering that Warren's essentially taking his progressive appeal away? And will there be more attacks from the lesser candidates on the front runners? Yeah, I think that trend is just going to continue. I think, I think Sanders is already fairly differentiated from Warren in the fact that he has, you know, that political label Democratic Socialist that he's been running with since 2016. I think the fight is really going to be within the people that are trailing the 10%, the people that are fighting to prove themselves as one of those potential top three candidates. I haven't seen Warren attack a lot of people, really. I think she's going to keep her nose clean throughout all of this. But I think it is just going to be a, I think it has the potential to be a bloodbath, which is why I think it's crucial that the Democrats whittle down their field as fast as they can. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and majorities of candidates need to start dropping out. Like by this point, you know, you've had your moments and you've gotten your national recognition. And you know, some, most of these people 
can win elections uh, at the uh, you know the con- congressional level uh, with their state, and they can do so much good in those positions. Like we saw that with Governor Hickenlooper, he dropped out. You know, he he had his moment, but now he's going to challenge. <laughs> I love him he, so much. He's he's great. He's great. Yeah. Um, and he's going to challenge Senator Gardner from yeah. Colorado, and I think that's something that the Democratic base wants to see from these other candidates. Better work. Can he challenge John Cornyn rather than challenging Elizabeth Warren and exactly. Bernie Sanders? So, you know, the majority of these candidates can do so much good in our congressional level. And I think that's what we need to see. Like, for example, like Senator Klobuchar, um, she's, she does so much good in the Senate. Um, she has worked with Bernie Sanders on so much legislation. She would serve the party the best in the Senate. And that goes to the majority of these candidates. Um, so that's my take. I yeah. think, you know, these people need to start running for Senate. They want to create positive change if that's what they're really about, trying to move our country in a better direction. If they want really are set for that rather than, you know, personal political gain, then they should start running for Senate. Yeah, or I House. agree because it's not just about it's really not just about the, the executive. It's not about the White House. I mean, the legislature does more for this country than arguably. But this administration has made it seem like yeah. they're not co-equal branches. Yeah, it definitely made it seem like that. But it's one of the most important branches. I mean, you can't pass a bill if the bill never gets written, right? So I think that people need to turn their focus back to that because the fact of the matter is they've been on the national stage. They have notoriety. They can go back to their home state and say all that they've done. And that can really, really invigorate voters. But it's, obviously, it's just not working out for them on the national stage. So that's what I want to see because. I think the Democrats need to go into this election strong. Otherwise, they will not come home with the White House. And if, if that's what they think is the most important thing, then they need to start acting like it. They need to start, you know, having that movement to tell candidates who really just don't. I mean, what concerns me is the candidates that say, like, I'm staying in this till the end. Like, it's a great sentiment to say that you love your party enough to stay until the end. But you have to realize that a lot of this is, you know, a give and take thing. It is sacrifices. It is waiting another four years. It is anything like that so i think that's what we need to see from the democratic party if they want to even stand a chance regardless of who the nominee is yeah and texas which has historically been a red state is shifting towards purple state status and beto o'rourke was very close to taking out you know ted cruz who was you know one of the top front runners in the gop presidential primaries and i think he does have a good chance in being john Cornyn. he has gotten the attention of national voters he has gotten the attention of people in Texas. People in his community love him, um, especially with his, um, the way he handled the El Paso shooting. You know, the entire Texas community at least, you know, knows about him. And now he has that notoriety and name recognition. Um, so, you know, I think these, pe- these candidates, such, such as Better O'Rourke, can do so much better running for that congressional position. But, you know, some of these candidates, I think, uh, you know, staying in the race does bring, you know, better sense as in like more diverse points such as like governor bullock um he's he's a very you know moderate candidate but by staying in the race he still you know projects that moderate voice because if we see more and more of these candidates drop out the majority of them are going to be the more moderate candidates because joe biden is the only moderate candidate relatively with a good chance of you know winning the nomination so i think there is some good things with some of these candidates staying in the race, um, as in, you know, not trying to have the narrative stray away. But, you know, the majority of these people can do so much in Congress. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think the moderate 
approach is what the Democrats need to take to win this election because the moderate, the moderate approach to the average voter screams, you know, no net change, and that doesn't mobilize anyone. So just as a general, like, wrap-up, I think the Democrats need to get in line. I think they need to really have serious introspection as to which candidates have a genuine chance at the nomination and whittle down the field as to present some sense of unity going into this primary. Yeah, agreed. Um, so as the final thing, who would you say is top five? Oh, top five. Oh, gosh. Okay, so obviously you have the big three, Warren, Biden, Sanders. Um, see, there was, I think it's between Buttigieg, Harris, and Aurora as the next, it would be two out of those three. Yeah, um, I, think, I think it's going to be Warren, Biden, Sanders in that order. Then the next two is probably going to be Kamala Harris and... Uh, I think it's Buttigieg. I would say Pete Buttigieg over yeah. Beto O'Rourke. I think O'Rourke took a little bit of a hit, the oppo ads and everything, and I think Buttigieg has that new appeal with a more like conservative base with his uh, mandatory public service. So yeah, I think that would be the top five. Warren, Biden, Sanders in that order. Buttigieg and Harris just duking it out for that fourth and fifth spot. But Yang Gang all the way. <laughs> but Yang Gang all the way. So yeah. So that concludes this episode of Idiot Soup. Thank you for listening. And a big thank you to our guest, Kevin Kim, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. We really appreciate it. You did very well as our first guest. So we really appreciate it. So thank you guys for listening to the episode and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Idiot Soup. You can find us on Instagram at Idiot Soup Podcast, on Twitter at Idiot Soup Pod, and also on Facebook if you want to get in touch with us. If you're a boomer. <laughs> if you're a boomer, then you can get in touch with us on Facebook. So with that being said, that concludes this episode of Idiot Soup. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>